on the Atonic Podcast right now. My name is Julia Pels. I'm a stand-up comedian, storyteller, and LGBTQ activist. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Queer Comedian, or my name's Julia Pels on Facebook. Come check me out. Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast. And here is your host of the show, Efren Guzman. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast. My guest today, she's comedian Julia Pels. Julia, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well here in the Midwest, which the weather is kind of confusing because it's at this time of the of the year, it's usually supposed to be cold, but it's 50, 40 degree weather in Wisconsin, so it's kind of crazy. How about in Los Angeles? I grew up, I grew up in the Midwest. Oh yeah, really? Where? Um, in Chicago, in a suburb in Chicago, and we also had a lake house in Wisconsin. Ah, awesome. We're, we're, we're at Wisconsin, at the lake house. Near Lauderdale Lakes, and it was called, um, it was called, it was very small, um, and it was near Lake Geneva, but it was called Lauderdale Lakes. Oh, it was very okay. close to Lake Geneva, which is a more well-known, I feel like, um, part of Wisconsin. Lauderdale Lakes was just this tiny little town. Um, but I love Wisconsin. I love Chicago, and I, I miss the Midwest um, all the time. I don't miss the weather, but I definitely miss the Midwest a lot. Yeah, it's funny because I, I, I'm from originally from New York City, and I miss the city a lot. I just miss the convenience and the easiness of walking out your building and going to a store that's right there or having taco trucks in like close to your building where you could get food at, like at yeah. 3 in the morning. What, what is it about the Midwest that you miss so much as opposed you know, in Los Angeles where you have like everything there? There's a warmth, even in Chicago, that it just feels like a community. Everybody's bundled up and getting, you know, coffee or hot chocolate. And they are in bookstores and people are in cafes and people are talking to each other because they're not really, you know, boxed in their car. I hate to bring it back to L.A. traffic and sound like a cliche, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is that the L train brings you anywhere and everywhere in the city. So... I feel like it's much more community oriented mm -hmm. and it's not so um, spread out where you can't go places because of how spread out it is or it's that inconvenient. So it just feels more like a community than um, I feel like LA does. I feel like it's just very broken up here. It's very hard to make connections. And I hear this from a lot of people that people are lonely here. It's just a tough city. Mm -hmm. um, but I knew that moving here, I knew that this was going to be a really uh, hard transition, challenging yeah. tra transition for me. Yeah, moving moving from New York to Wisconsin is kind of funny that you say that because New York, like, it's like you, you know you had people you talk to, but a lot of them like seem not to care, or it was like kind of fake, yeah. as I like to say. It's almost like hi, bye, oh yeah, yeah, we gotta hang out sometime, we gotta hang out, and you don't hang out. But in the Midwest, people are generally concerned about you, and they actually, if you have a conversation with somebody, they'll talk to you for hours, and you're like, oh my god, I gotta go, I gotta go. So it's like the the. I don't know. It's it's kind of different. To me, I think it's kind of more real in the Midwest. Do you tend to agree? Yes, definitely. I would I would agree with that. I feel like people um, I stick to their word. I think it's probably a Midwest Midwestern thing. You know, a little bit less flaky. Um, and 
you know, LA, there's just so much going on. You know, people want to just go to the next best thing. And I think in the Midwest, people are a little more mindful and appreciative of, you know, other people's time. And there's just a closeness. There's a warmth that I think um, that LA lacks a little bit. Um, how did you first of all get involved in comedy? Like, you know, it's 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 fascinating to me because there's people that have different careers doing different things. Comedy is basically, you know, um, I talked this with a couple of comedians on before that comedy is very, you know, when someone's a comedian, either there's a lot of things that probably not probably you know a lot of things that happen to them in life, or or they're just like the jokester all the time. Like, how did you get? Like, how did you know comedy was your calling? You know, it's a funny story. It's really, <laughs> not to be, <laughs> it is a funny story, though, how I got into comedy. I, you know what, I always like to start kind of a childhood because it sets the, again, no pun intended, but it kind of sets the stage for where you came from. Mm-hmm. I started modeling just locally for this husband and wife team who did our Christmas pictures each year. My mom was that dorky, you know, we had to wear matching outfits and they started asking me to do their brochures and I started winning awards and I was also a ballerina and my dad didn't want me modeling, but he said, sure, you can still dance. So I did ballet and jazz and hip hop and I, and I loved that. Um, and I was also a singer. I sang in French. Um, I was in choirs. And then when I got to high school, um, I really stopped the arts for a while and a little bit in college. Um, and then I was in development for the arts. Um, and I, I was good at it. But I remember just really longing to be on the stage. And so I journeyed from Chicago to Seattle because I knew I wasn't ready to go to L.A. right away. Mm-hmm. And in Seattle, I did marketing and development and then was finally ready to move to L.A. So when I moved to L.A., I had the intention, instead of doing theater, which is what my background was in, I wanted to do film mm. because I was very tired of long-form theater. Um, the memorizing was very challenging for me. I'm not dyslexic, but I think I have a reading comprehension challenge, if you will, where I can think twice and I go, wait, what did I just read? So the memorizing was really weighing on me. And like I said, I didn't want to do two week runs of shows every night. It just, I just didn't want to do it anymore. And so I started doing film auditions and I did well. I didn't book much, but I, but I got callbacks, you know, and it was only, you know, really six months of work. I just didn't like it because I wasn't performing. I was auditioning, but I wasn't performing. And some people could say, well, you could have taken an acting class. And that's, and that's true. But there just, something just felt off. And so I took a little time and then I started dating this girl who did all kinds of stuff, improv and stand up and, and it only lasted like a month. But I remember the feeling of when I'd go to her stand-up shows, I was like, wow, this really feels like a community. And I started remembering how comedy for me or humor or um, anything kind of funny helped take pain and lighten it up. Um, And so her and I didn't stay together, but the 
comedy stuck. And I started doing open mics. And shortly thereafter, I just started going to comedy shows, introducing myself to producers, writing at home, recording myself at home. Eventually, I started getting booked. And within, I would say, less than a year, I average five shows a week. Sometimes I'll do seven to ten days in a row. Um, it happened really fast, and I, honestly, I wasn't expecting it. And I was also asked to do storytelling, which is something that's really big in the L.A. community. And so I've now been storytelling for, you know, about a year. And all the time, all the time I've done The Moth, and um, it just it happened so quick. I My intention was to try it and to see if it was fun. And then once I got a taste of it, it was like I just worked really, really hard to become a decent enough performer to, you know, work the alt comedy scene in, you know, private theater, little theaters and bars and coffee shops and, you know, get your name out in the community. And that was all something that was something that I just worked really hard for. Um, I was going through a challenging time in my life at that time and it was something that helped get me through it was that focus and that drive so it was really I fell into it it was unintentional I had never in my life in fact I remember in the past being like I would never want to do comedy (laughs) I remember thinking that comedy was just kind of sticky and I didn't really like it that much I liked comedic films but I wasn't really a stand-up I never sat down and watched stand-up it wasn't really a thing. And I think people are surprised by that. But it wasn't my go-to. It's not what I thought I'd be doing. Well, is there any particular comedians that, I guess, you used to watch that you sort of, not pattern your style after, but, I guess, got influence from? or Honestly, I would say a lot of the old-timey Saturday Night Live, you know, characters, and even men, just like, Steve Martin's humor, um, Tom Hanks back in the day, like, I don't know if there's necessarily a stand-up comedian, you know, I guess someone would say Joan Rivers, but, you know, I just, um, I just remember being really moved by comedic film actors, John Candy, like, I would just be in stitches, trains, planes, and automobiles, Uncle Buck, I mean, so many of them. I think character actors mostly is what I was attracted to. And and I think that I'm kind of a character actor in that way. I mean, so much of my stand-up um, is storytelling, mm-hmm. you know, with, with punchlines. But it's very much, they're very much stories. I don't think there's anyone that I really, again, necessarily looked up to or patterned after. after. But, um, you know, there's comedians I love. I love Ellen. Um, I really love, right now I'm really into Ali Wong. I think she's amazing. I think she's amazing for doing her stand-up comedy pregnant. I just think it's awesome. People (laughs) trying new things and being strong. I think, yeah, I think that's, it's kind of just been, you know, Shelley Long. I mean, I've always just kind of been drawn to comedic films because I watched them in times that were difficult for me to get through. And I think that's, also something now that's parallel to me doing the stand-up comedy is that it, it often gets me through things that feel so difficult. I can get on the stage and make some light um, of them, yeah. which is helpful. What, what difficult times has it helped you through? What are you talking about? Like you had a lot of like trials and tribulations? 
Yeah, as a child, I had problems um, at home. I had problems with my mother. There was um, some abuse that went on, and my dad was traveling a lot for business, and he was a very successful publisher. And I think, you know, I love my mom dearly, but, you know, as we get older, I talk about these things more freely, not from a a victim standpoint, but from a point of, you know, this is something that shaped me and that I don't know if my life would have been the same had it not um, come from these things that, that did happen. And although at the time, you know, they were trauma, I think that they kind of shaped it. But at, at going back to it at the time, I was 12. I had a really good 12 years with her. So it set this really safe foundation, both of my parents. It was this 12-year really safe foundation. And then one day, she just started to do things like scream and swear at me. And I didn't understand why. I mean, what 12-year-old could wrap their head around why the person, you know, they love and trust would start behaving that way. It's just, you know, a 12-year-old's not psychologically mature or, or aware enough to understand that complexity. So I just dealt with it. And I think I saw um, different movies and just tried to use humor to, you know, cope with the fact that there was this pain, but I always kind of kept the smile and I was a cheerleader and I was always very peppy and making jokes and I was very outgoing and, you know, people often laughed and told me how funny I was and I, I just think it was a coping mechanism for so much of the pain that people didn't see because what they saw was this, you know, girl who was, quote, put together and, again, a lot of boyfriends and they, they, no one knew, you know, what was going on and, and throughout high school. And that was really, that was really challenging. So I think the humor um, was just something that, that got me through it, that got me through it. There, there were other times as well. This um, past year was a really difficult breakup. And um, it was with someone who was mentally unstable. Mm-hmm. And she happened to be in the storytelling community, and I wanted to keep the things very private, and she didn't, clearly. And after the breakup, it was a, a smear campaign, and I I really just, it was honestly, and the only reason I talk about it, because I really try not to give her attention at all, because, you know, that's what she wants. But I have to be honest about my abuse, um, which includes my mother, and, and which also includes ex-girlfriends. And it was such a frightening time because I had just really broken out in this community. You know, I had just really started building a name for myself. And when someone's abusive and, you know, can't get your attention, they'll tell people you're terrible. And I didn't know who to trust. You know, like I said, I was new and it was very scary because I was trying to make a name for myself and meet people. And here was this person telling parts of the community you know, A, lies, and B, that I was just this awful monster. So it was very challenging for me even to have the gall to go to some of these shows and get on stage because I thought to myself, my God, what if one of them is, you know, 
one of her best friends and they're gonna I, I was really scared because she was you know genuinely abusive it wasn't just girl drama as I think a lot of people make it out to be it was abusive and still is scary well like um, like physical physical and mental abuse you mean physical, all verbal just like verbal uh Freudianly, just like my mother all very verbal and emotional and psychological and I think those are the things that have shaped the way that you know I feel things and shaped the way that I see the world and um and also that's where the comedy it's that levity that breath of air when you feel like you're drowning it's it's the thing that I would say at times you know it saves me it keeps me going I think that artists in general and especially comedians because we can hit this you know not always but at times really high points and we're really you know funny or charismatic just as high as those points can be there is a depth I think of of hurt and or sadness that we've experienced because without that depth of sadness we couldn't get to that height of joy and so for me it's this push and pull this battle of you know walking a line between keeping myself stable and grounded and I don't mean that I'm mentally unfit but just keeping yourself healthy in an environment that demands a lot you're emoting you're being raw and authentic and telling stories that a lot of times are difficult and then you go home a lot of times alone and kind of don't process all this so it's it's hard to keep up the spirit of always you know wanting to give of yourself as an entertainer because that's what makes you feel alive but at the same time you have this other challenging part where you have to nurture yourself and make sure that you're taking care of yourself, you know, psychologically and physically, emotionally, all of those things, spiritually, um, to keep yourself grounded because the entertainment industry, regardless if you're a musician, uh, an actor, a comedian, it's difficult um, when people, when you're in front of anyone, you know, people will talk, people will tweet, People will laugh, people will boo, you know, it's, it's, you're out there and, you know, you're, you're kind of a target sometimes for really great things, but also sometimes for a lot of criticism that I think is hard for anyone to handle at times. Yeah. Um, with the current state of the world, the way it is, do you ever find yourself holding back on material out of fear of, of ridicule? <sighs> yeah, actually, that's interesting that you asked that. Yeah. Yep. That's so interesting, and I wonder if that's because of the clip you saw. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I uh, right now, um, I I feel like I can talk about it because I feel like I'm at a point in my life now where I wouldn't do the material, but I think I can vocalize it in a way that hopefully it can be well received by women. But what I will say about my material is that it's not traditional. I am a woman that's a lesbian and I think a lot of people and I am a feminist but I think a lot of people think that because I'm this they have an idea of my political views because of me being a woman or me um you know being a lesbian a feminist and the truth is is that my vantage point comes from a place where I have had so many really positive and loving male relationships and nurturing that that is my groundedness and so it's really difficult for me to hear things like 
and you know, I won't say some of the names, but some of the names that women or society and even men themselves will, will refer to themselves as, you know, and I think this kind of turned, you know, well, we've been oppressed for so long, so let's put you down. I'm very much a humanist. And I'm like, how about we, none of us call the other people names? Like, I understand there's really bad men out there, but I also, because I am a lesbian, understand that there also can be really terrible women out there. And I, by no means of the word, um, mean to, and, and I'm saying this because I'm sure women will listen to this, and I am totally for women. I am 100% supportive if someone's told me that they've been hurt or abused. I listen. But I think there's this almost silent unacknowledgement of the fact that women can be insidious. They can be abusive. They can be mm-hmm. mean. Yeah. Just not taken as seriously, I think, as abuse from from men. Yeah. Yeah. It- I also think because... I also think because some of my humor can be a bit crude. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I make jokes that generally straight men appreciate, I think, more than um, probably women in general. Because I don't talk from, I think, as much a, a women's woman's point of view. I think, you know, externally, my gender presentation, people are very much like, oh, yeah, she's totally a woman and she's feminine. And I get that. But at the same time, I think in terms of, how I feel on the inside is, you know, fluid, but oftentimes more masculine. And I think I, I don't want to come off um, as a misogynist, you know yeah. what I mean? Because <laughs> it, can, it can come off very, um, you know, unintentionally crude and off-putting, which is definitely not what I want, but it's, it's my vantage point. It's how I've lived, and I'm definitely not um, – I'm not against anyone. I'm not homophobic. I'm not racist. Um, but I do have kind of a a different and not so popular point of view, I think. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on ghostwriting in the comedy world? We're already seeing it in politics and music. Well, I mean, it's hard for me to say because I couldn't imagine someone writing my stuff for me just... Because it's so personal. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if someone else were to write it, even if they knew me, it just wouldn't come off authentic. Also, that makes me feel like they have to memorize those lines that were written. And for me, I'm very much an improvised stand-up. And that's actually, you know, people say that that's very challenging and, you know, that's very uncommon. But for me... Um, when it's more scripted, I get tripped up. I get too in my head about the lines and so on and so forth. And the fact of the matter is, is I go with what the crowd feels. If I'm doing stand up about, you know, being with women and it's not being well received, I go another way. Um, so memorizing, I mean, I have general ideas of the stories and the structure. I'm not just going off book like a lunatic, but I don't write material I think the way that most comedians do and it's not that I'm better or smarter it's that I just think my brain works differently where I write down three bullet points and then I think of those stories and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't you know just like anything else but um it's not scripted so I don't know how 
they could script, you know, you could, you would have to, to me, if someone go, was ghostwriting, you would have to memorize what they were, what they were writing for you. So the authenticity to me feels taken away. Mm. I think that's my standpoint on it. All right. What would you say is the biggest setback being a comedian today? Oh, oh man. I'm not going to give the typical answer of uh, being a woman because I think a lot of people would say, well, maybe not. Uh, I I shouldn't assume anything for anyone. I love you all. Um, I think for me, you know, and I'm so candid about this, and it's funny because you hear some stand-ups talk about it, but I think for me what is challenging is that it can be a really lonely profession. It's Mm -hmm. like part of you has this amazing community I can call so many people at any time, you know, and say, hey, can we run jokes or, hey, I'm having a rough day, can we talk? But at the same time, it's it's not like an improv class where y'all meet up at 5 o'clock every day at UCB and have your thing. And it's very, you know, we're, we're writing alone, you know, or at least for me, I'm writing alone. You know, you're driving the shows alone out in the middle of nowhere sometimes, you're, I mean, you're, if I'm doing shows five, five times a week, you know, it's hard to have a social life for me anyway. So right now I'm getting acclimated to kind of balancing because like I said earlier, it happened so quick that I'm trying to find this balance of, you know, working and being a comedian and making sure my career's going well, but also have kind of having some of that personal time that I think lately I've been lacking. I think that's a big challenge for me because of how quickly things went. I thought to myself, well, you know, I don't want to lose this momentum. And I was kind of fearful to pull back and have a little bit more, I think, me time because I was just, I didn't want to lose the momentum. It was just very shocking to me all of it, I think. Um, Do you think art as a medium is making a comeback? Um, making a comeback from, you know, like, like me not, me not performing kind of for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it was a reawakening. That's yeah. Really what I, th- I think more than a comeback, it was just, oh, wow, this is what I've meant. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what I was meant to be doing all along. I just didn't see it. And I don't know why I didn't see it so versus a comeback it was just this reawakening of oh wow okay this is what I'm supposed to be doing now and it was so um refreshing and relieving I don't know how else to explain it I it felt finally like I knew exactly what was going on (laughs) I felt like I was very confused and really kind of lost I mean here I I moved to LA you know to follow this passion but when I got here it was like I'm not sure what that is anymore because Mm -hmm. the film wasn't working so when I found stand-up it was like I can talk about what I want to talk about I don't have to go through agents I can tell people how I feel I can be authentic I think so much of my life I felt like I had to play something. I had to be something for everyone. I had to be the perfect daughter. 
had to be the perfect ballerina and the perfect cheerleader. And, you know, I think being able to do stand-up has freed me in my life to be myself. And it's not always accepted. It's not always well-received. But at least I feel as though I'm living more authentically than I had in the past. Um, Julia, do you remember your mama jokes? Yes, I do. What's the best one you got in your arsenal? Oh my gosh, I don't, you know what? I I don't have, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I don't have one. I never really got into, I mean, I've heard them, but yeah. I've never really got into it. It never made me laugh. And I, <laughs> I don't know, I'm not for one-liners, and I'm just so, I'm weird about comedy. I know that sounds funny, but... I have mother jokes, but it's not that. <laughs> oh, so, so tell me, um, tell me some other jokes that you have. Well, they're not. I mean, it's hard to just bust out a set, but you know, my mom called me and told me that her uterus was falling out, and I was like, "What? Like that happens? Just a, an organ just flies out of your body?" And she was like, "Well, it could be from like, you know, childbirth." And I was like, okay, so I went home and I was like, uterus, I'm Googling, like, uterus falling out of your shit. (laughs) And I see these pictures and it's, I'm terrified, this is horrifying to me. And so I called my mom and I was like, mom, you need to go to the doctor, like, you need to get this taken care of, like, now. And she's like, no, it's fine. And I was like, no, I, I saw the pictures, this shit's fucked up. And she's like, it's not a big deal. I just shove it right back in and pull my girdle up. I just shove it right back in. I mean, and we wonder why I have problems with lesbians. Like, oh my god! No, no, there is no wonder. There is no wonder. It is there is a brand here, and the brand is, you know, Freudian. When you're a lesbian and you have problems with your mother, <laughs> uh, you know, you're not necessarily going to pick the best one. <laughs> You got um any Tom Brady jokes? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you think you could take on Marlon Wayans in a Twitter roast? No, I'm not good with. I'm. Not, I don't really do roasts either. Yeah. I'm weird. I'm. I'm such a storyteller. I don't know. I'm not really into um, getting super political. I'm not into doing even current events. And you know, I'm. I'm green, so I'm sure I'm going to have to, you know, get deeper into that. But right now, I just enjoy so much um, giving personal experiences and how ridiculous I find them to be. I mean, you saw you saw my set, and so much of it is just talking about the hilarity of life and how ridiculous, you know, things that you just go, what? What did you do? Like, I have to get that out. Yeah. Because if I don't, it just, it's bothersome. And so I think right now I just focus on that aspect. And again, you know, whether people like it or not, I think that's just where I'm at in my process of the stand-up. Yeah. Um, you know, Saturday Night Live, you know, um, has, to me, in my opinion, hasn't been funny in years until now they're starting doing everything political now. Um, what's your opinion on that? Do you think Saturday Night Live has been funny and been relevant? Or you think now because of the whole Trump thing, like they they have like their niche? Like, what's your opinion I on that? Like, I feel like 
Saturday Night Live was just my favorite Saturday night was Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana back in the day. With <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I, I don't think I can even speak past that point because those actors were John Belushi. They were gold. Mm-hmm. They were gold. They, I have not seen performing like that in in years i mean in a decade you know it's it's gone there's something um and not to say that we don't have a beautiful you know my god art world i again no disrespect at all we've got wonderful comedians out there and actors and actresses but there's just something about those times that i think were really special in some ways there is some really magical energy in in that in that group in that era i don't exactly remember the entire cast but it was those kids and um i'd love to go back and watch some old saturday night live tapes of them Mm. i would absolutely love to do that but i think i feel like as it got you know older it for me, it wasn't as good. It's not to say it was bad, but I just wasn't as interested. I think the older I got. Mm, um, does um, um, did your father ever discourage you from getting into comedy, or has any family member ever discouraged you? No, actually, my interesting that you ask. My dad, um, when I started doing comedy, you know, I didn't know how he was going to react, and he just kept encouraging me to do it he just kept saying I, I just kept telling him about all the shows and because we're very close we talk you know I'd say about three times a week wow on, on average yeah a lot um I feel like with him it's you know he's not perfect we I'm his daughter he's my father we have you know fam, normal family issues but him and I are um close in the sense that we have a, a similar faith. We have a similar, um, I think, spiritual awareness. And I like to check in with him. So when all this was happening, I was like, I can't believe how fast this is happening and listen to all these things. And he just kept encouraging it. And um, he's just constantly like, I know that this is going to happen for you, so you'll be ready for it. I mean, he believes in me more than I do. <laughs> So he was a, he, no, he was like a big no, influence. He was a yeah. Yeah, I would say he he's been I mean aside from the people I work with, he's been the biggest supporter of it. Mm-hmm. Definitely besides my my coworkers, he's been the most supportive. Wow. Um any regrets in life? Oh. Uh you know, people are always so quick to say no regrets in life. Um, no regrets, but I'd say I'm really happy that I've learned to forgive myself for mistakes I've made in the past. You know, I don't regret them, but I think I've come to a place where I've really had to look at them. I think art draws that out. I think it makes us look at our shadow self there's no perfect human and 
I think once I did that, it was easier for me to forgive those who gave me pain, those that I spoke of earlier, my mother, my ex-girlfriend. There were other girlfriends that were um, really unhealthy, and the blame isn't all on, you know, them. And as for the, the mother stuff, you know, she clearly was sick. And I don't accept their behavior, but I understand it in the mm-hmm. sense that we all can do things that are not good at times. They're not good. But I think we have to learn to forgive ourselves for those mistakes for not being aware. If we were more aware at the time, we wouldn't have done it or we would have done something. I think instead of throwing on what we want people to be, we need to accept them for where they're at um, and try to continue to evolve ourselves so we can give the best version of ourselves that we can be. So no regrets, but happy to be more aware um, when I look back on mistakes. Normally, I don't talk about politics, but given that our current president of the United States is Donald Trump, what do you make of the current political climate in this country? I'm concerned. I'm very concerned. Um, I think that's, I keep going back to that, and I don't know why, but I'm very, I'm very concerned. And I think that there's so much of it. There's so, the lines are so thick and there's so many layers of of what's going on right now that for me I try to pay attention to the facts I do a lot of research I try to take everything that happens one event at a time because I find if I go too far ahead for me it's ungrounding and I want to support people who are afraid and I want to support people that need my support. And I feel like if I, you know, dive too much into Facebook and start getting in political debates on Facebook or, you know, marching every other week, like, it's not that I don't agree with it, but I have to be careful where I put my energy. I mean, I call my senators. I I, I feel like I really, really try to um, help whenever I can. But for me to stay grounded, it's kind of just to really observe right now and and pay attention to what's going on um, and be supportive of anyone who is scared, anyone who needs support. I feel strong enough to do that. And I think also um, performing keeps me grounded through these times because it allows me to talk about things in a way that... Um, I just think doing it in everyday life doesn't. Mm -hmm. So I'm absolutely concerned. Am I afraid? You know, I don't want people to take this the wrong way. Again, probably not the popular vote or answer, but I'm not afraid. And I, I understand that, you know, I'm a white woman, but I'm also gay. So there is an element of minority. And it's not that I don't think that things are not going to affect me. I absolutely do. I just think that for me, again, I want to be just kind of like a quiet, you know, cat, kind of just just sitting there waiting to pounce, you know, keeping my energy just for what what's going to happen. So I'm I'm really I'm really I'm really sad. I'm definitely not happy with the 
decision. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also been hard for me to to feel all the sadness in the in the air because I can I can definitely feel it. I can definitely feel the disruption, and um, the comedy helps helps to lighten it up because I do. There's times where I get very sad about everyone's pain, you know, mm-hmm. including my own, including my own. Um, what's been the biggest thing you've learned about life or discovered about yourself? Mm. In life. In general? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing that I've discovered, um, so far is kind of like what we talked about before, which is really kind of a radical acceptance of who I am as I get older. Not caring so much about what other people think that I, you know, maybe should be or need to be. Um, Regaining trust and safety and self-esteem after Mm -hmm. trauma, I think, was big. And I think when something like that happens, you really do need to get yourself back. You need to love yourself. And, And... I think that you lo- you lose that when trauma happens. And I think the biggest thing is forgiving myself for behaviors that, you know, in my life I, I'm not proud of really looking at that other side of myself. Of course, also loving myself for the great things, but really paying attention because I want to give the best to the world. And I know if I'm not at my best, even if it's hard to hear things at the time that, you know, you disappointed someone or you offended someone. I always want to evolve. And I think that's that's probably the biggest thing in life is that I never want to remain stagnant and not give back to the world because I think it's important that we all give our best versions of ourselves. What would you say to those afraid to get out there and do what you're doing? The comedy or? the com- Yeah, the comedy, yeah. Or just if yeah. they're doing it? Yeah, if, if let's say, you know, if they want to do this, if this is a goal for them. Okay, I would say if this is a goal, I would say my biggest thing is to work really hard. Just really and really remember that you're going to, it's not always going to feel good. I think people think that the stage is always this place where you're going to feel good. I think the biggest thing is to find your voice get used to just being on the stage, feel the stage, make the stage your home, and to try to overcome the fear of being yourself. Mm. Because really so much of stand-up comedy is, yes, making people laugh, but it's also being authentic because you're talking about life from your vantage point, a place where a lot of people don't see and also would never do. So what you're doing is really kind of heroic to some people. It's one of the hardest kinds of performance. And don't give up when things seem really bad. You know, go to sleep early and know that the next performance will come and that it's going to be okay. If you're meant to do it, uh, you'll do it. Just keep doing it. What is your personal... Okay, um, what is your personal motto? Oh, man personal motto is um is really 
really uh, believe in yourself and take positive action. Mm. You have to have that that core belief that you can do something, but you also have to act. You know, I think people just think, oh, we can just pray or meditate it out. And you can do those things. And there should be a faith-based act, you know, aspect, I think, in, in our life. But I think we also need to look at the reality that there's things that we have to do or, you know, can do um, every day that can help our, our growth. And that will. And that absolutely will help our growth. Yeah. You, you also said that you sing too, right? Yes, yes, I do. Could you sing me a little something? Oh my goodness, that would be really tough right now. <laughs> Especially because, what if I sent you a clip? I have an, I have great clips. Of it. You know, at the end, you know what? You could put it at the end. It'll be like a cool folk song at the end. So how about how how about the Star Spangled Banner? Oh God, no. <laughs> Oh, I'd have to send it to you. I'm getting over a cold. Oh, I normally break in the song, but no, I don't. Um, you know, I can, but oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put you through that today. But I promise you, you can definitely hear a clip sometime. Oh, all right, not a problem. Um, <laughs> um, what would make you most happy in life? Oh, this is such a. I don't want to say easy, but kind of. It's kind of an easy answer at this point in my life. I'm 35, and. I think what would make me most happy is to continue to do comedy and storytelling. And also I'm an LGBTQ activist. I'm very much fighting for queer rights. And um, if I could do that full time and also have a family, um, have a wife. And um, I'm not quite sure about kids, but but it would really nice. It would be really nice to have that balance because right now I'm, I'm definitely like the bachelor um comedian who you know eats eats terrible fast food late at night and who kind of never stops going so it would be nice to have a little bit more of a balance and to not have to work 800 side jobs (laughs) 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 you know because that's fun um so you know you said you know you've dealt with a lot with abuse and a lot of different situations um do you feel if that stuff wouldn't didn't happen to you um you would you, you think um regardless you still would have been where you at if the abuse hasn't ha- had it happen I don't know it's hard to you know it's always hard to say where you would be if something had or hadn't happened you know I think there was always a part of me that was angry about it of course sad as well but kind of angry and I thought oh I could have been you know a healthier person or a more whole person but now when I look at it, I don't know if I would have had the ability to not judge, to forgive as deeply, um, or have the awareness to understand that some people just are having a really, really tough life and they don't always behave well. And I don't think my level of compassion and love would be the same because I felt such strong pain I don't think my ability to love would be as strong if I had not felt um, as much pain. I think that I can say for sure. And my final question for you, Julia, is what would the Julia of today tell the Julia of yesterday? Oh, wow. 
going to be okay. <laughs> it's going to be okay? Yep. Wow. Okay. Okay. I, I, th- I thought you were going to say something more elaborate, but that, that's totally fine. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Uh, Julia, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said, did you want a longer spiel? I think that's really the crux of it. It's going to be okay. Yeah. No, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Julia, I was going to tell you, um, plug your social media. Plug any upcoming events you have coming up because I know you're busy this week. Yes. At Queer Comedian, just the way it sounds, Q-U-E-E-R, Comedian. Uh, that's Twitter and that's Instagram or just Julia Pels. It's P-E-L-S and that's Facebook. Um I produce and host a show called Killer Unicorns. It's once a month. You can find that on my social media. Um, There's one coming up, I think, a week from Monday, a week from today. A week from today, we're going to have one. Um, We're location still to be determined, but look us up on Facebook at Killer Unicorns. And, and yeah, you can find us. So that's a a show because I also am a producer. So I host a monthly stand-up and storytelling show that's combined. Oh, that's awesome, Julia. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. What a fun podcast. Not a problem. I hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices. Have a good one, folks. <laughs>